Uh, Father, thank you uh, for this church family. Thank you that you brought us together and that you've made us one in Christ. And thank you for the scriptures and the chance now to look at your word. Uh, Lord, whatever has happened to us today or this week, or even this last few hours, will you help us to, to focus now and concentrate on, on your word? Uh, fill us with your spirit. May he be the one who teaches us and transforms us. Ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. If I said to you, uh, church is dot dot dot, what would you say? Shout out some answers. Church is. Church is family. Church is a body. Church is old. Cold or old? Cold. Old. My hearing is going. I'm getting old. Church is a living organism. Holy. Yep. A word that everyone has different opinions on its meaning. Yep. I wonder how many of you would say this. The church is the visible display to the world of the gospel. Church is God's visible display to his world of God's power to bring people from death to life through the gospel. Church is God's visible display to his world of the reconciliation that he's brought to us through Christ. Church is a visible display to every man, woman and child of God's grace and mercy and kindness to us in Christ. Because that's how Ephesians 3 describes it. Ephesians 3 verse 10 talks about it's through the church that God has chosen to make his power and the gospel known. And once you've grasped that, my friends, once you've grasped that we are not just a body and we're not just a family and we're not just a living organism, we're actually God's chosen means to display his power to all mankind. Once you've understood that, then you've got to stop and think, okay, how are we doing that? How are we relating to each other? Once you've grasped that actually God has chosen, in his wisdom, to use his church to shine his gospel into the world, it should make you sit up and go, well, it matters how we relate. It matters what it looks like to be church. And that's really the key verse for our, our Bible reading tonight. It's on Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, I think it's on page 828. Bible's at the end of the pews if you need a Bible. Let me just read chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to literally walk a life worthy of the calling you've received. And chapter 4 of Ephesians marks a transition uh, chapters 1 to 3 is really looking at the doctrine, chapters 4 to 6, the duty. 
chapters 1 to 3 is looking at the exposition if you want chapters 4 to 6 is really the exhortation now go and live it he moves from the theology to the practice and he starts with this key verse as a prisoner for the Lord then I urge you to to walk a life worthy of the calling you received Uh, I prefer the word walk because walk kind of encapsulates doesn't it everything that you do every step you take every breath that you take every thought that you have make sure you're walking a life worthy of the calling you received I love the word worthy Uh, I urge you to walk a life literally weight worthy of the calling you received it's a weighty word I want you to imagine um, a seesaw at one end of the seesaw is the calling that you received now what is that calling that we've received in Ephesians we've, we've been called to be chosen and adopted and redeemed and we're forgiven and we've got the spirit living in us and we've been brought from death to life and we've been brought close to the throne room of God that is the calling that we've received that's on one end of the seesaw if you want and it's weighty isn't it those, those truths are weighty truths you've been forgiven in Christ you've got everything in Christ and what he's saying is make sure that your walk your life balances that seesaw make sure that the way that you relate as church actually it, it's weight worthy of, of the calling that you've received when I was a kid I was a, a sort of skinny runt and I hated seesaws because I was also the skinniest person, so there's also a fat kid at one end. I think he's a fat now. A larger kid at one end, and at the other end there's me. And I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm pushing down, but I just can't balance his seesaw. Now, what he's saying here is what you've received from Christ is so weight worthy. You've got everything in Christ. And therefore, as a church, you've got a responsibility to balance that seesaw, to live a life, to walk the life that's worthy of that calling. Now how are we going to do it? Two points tonight. Number one, we live as a united church. We're a united church. Let me explain what I mean by by unity. By unity, I don't mean uniformity. I don't mean that we all think the same thing. I don't mean that we are clones of each other. We all start wearing the same clothes, like a, a sect or a cult. By unity, I don't mean uh, ecumenicalism. That's the idea that, you know, you can just ignore all your theological differences and just pretend that you all think the same. And, and I don't mean that there's no differences between us. What I mean by unity is that there's this fundamental oneness because of Christ and that's what Paul says in verses 2 to 2 to 6 look at it with me chapter 4 verse 2 to 6 I'll start again in verse 1 as a prisoner of the Lord then I urge you to live a life or walk a life weight worthy of the calling you've received be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, uh, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all 
and through all and in all. He says, make sure that this church, which is the the visible, walking, talking, breathing display of the gospel, make sure it displays oneness and displays unity. How can a church be divided and yet people look at it and say, oh, God's a God who brings people together. Our unity is based in what, verse 3? It's grounded in God himself, in a Trinitarian God. Do you spot that? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, verse 4, and one Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who actually created this body. It was the Holy Spirit who brought you from death to life and brought you into this church, into this family. And the Spirit that lives in you, if you're a Christian, is the same Spirit that lives in the person next to you. And so you're one. And so your unity is grounded in having the same Holy Spirit living in you. You've had that experience. I happened to me last Saturday. I was flying back from Canberra last Saturday, and I met a guy on the plane. He was a Christian. I'd never met him before, uh, but immediately that's that oneness and that unity because we've got the same Spirit living in us. Uh, I met a person down at Barcinos in in Kirribilli this week. Uh, goes to a different church. Never met him before. Immediately there's a bond, there's a oneness because we've got the same Spirit living in us. It's, it's grounded in the Spirit. It's also grounded in the Son. Do you see that? Verse 5. Uh, just you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Uh, Jesus is my Saviour and he's your Saviour. Uh, my faith, uh, the object of my faith is the same as the ob- object of your faith. It's Jesus Christ. We were baptised into the name of Jesus. Uh, so it's a unity based on, on the Spirit, on, on the Son, and it's a unity based on the Father. Verse 6. One God and Father of all, who is, who is over all and through all and, and in all. And the reason that we can sit here and as I look out, you know, we, we're different ages, we're different sexes, we're different personalities, we're different intelligence, we're different backgrounds, we're different nationalities, but the reason that we are one is because we've got the same Father. The same paternity, if you want. And no one here has ever met my brother. My brother's called Mark. He could walk through that door right now and I would, I would put a lot of money on the fact that you would never guess he's my brother. Uh, he's shorter than me, yes that's possible, he's shorter than me. Uh, he's a different body shape to me. Uh, he, he left school at 16, uh, no qualifications at all. I went off to Oxford University. He got married age 18, he's got two kids, two lovely kids, I'm single. He loves hard rock music, and I love boy bands. We are just so different, and yet we're family. And we are family because we've got the same father. It's kind of what Paul is saying here. You've got the same Spirit living in you. The same Lord Jesus is the object of your faith. You've got the same Father who is over all of you. And that's where your unity comes from. And that, my friends, is is why you can never create unity just through structures. Unity is a God-given thing. It's based in God himself. And once you've understood that, then it just changes the way that you relate to each other. Because you might struggle with each other, you might not like each other, but actually you're family. And just as you can't 
choose your earthly family. Actually, you can't choose your church family either. Because God chooses people and puts them alongside you in the pew next to you. And he says, this is your brother, this is your sister. Make sure you're one. It's a unity grounded in God himself. It's a unity actually that comes from the heart. Verse 2. It's got to impact the way that you live. Be completely humble and gentle. Uh, be patient, bearing with one another in love. I don't think we like the word humble because it's a kind of an insipid word. To be humble means that you are so other person centred and there's not a, a speck of pride in you. To be humble says it's not about me, it's all about God and, and others. It says be completely humble. Be completely humble and gentle. Gentle is the opposite of that arrogant, fighting spirit. I love the verse in Matthew 11. Remember it says, um, Come to me all who are weak and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. And what does Jesus say? For I am humble and gentle in spirit. He's saying, just be like your Lord Jesus Christ. Be humble, be gentle. Uh, be patient. That's what I struggle with. You know, being long-suffering. Not flying off the handle. Not wanting anything to be done in my timing. And you bear with, with one another in love. It's a heart attitude, isn't it? Where you look at the person next to you and you say, actually, I really struggle with you, but you know, I'm going to bear with you in love. And I'll get alongside you and I'm going to be patient with you. I've seen it in this church. It's in a beautiful model in this church of, of a wealthy businessman who just takes time out of his schedule to meet up with somebody who's really, really struggling in the whole financial world. And he sits alongside him and patiently and gently and humbly he says, you're my brother in Christ, I want to get alongside you. That's oneness, isn't it? I've seen it with people who, different personalities and you know, for them, they don't get anxious about stuff but someone in their connect group does get anxious about stuff. And so they take the time to meet up with them for coffee and listen and listen again and listen again. That's being patient, that's bearing with each other in love because they're sisters in Christ. And when you do that, it does impact your world, it impacts the way that you relate. So verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. It doesn't come naturally, it doesn't come easily. We are united in Christ, we are united in the Spirit, but, but naturally we fight and naturally we're divided and naturally we think I'm right and I'm arrogant and I'm proud and I don't need you. He says make the effort, put in the hard yards. It is hard work, but it's important work because the church is a visible display of the Gospel. My friends, I'm guessing that a lot of us here are just thinking about self at this point. Am I gentle? Am I humble? Am I patient? And if you're thinking that, can I say, stop thinking that. Stop being so individualistic in the way that we read the Bible. Someone described, actually, that the way that we read the Bible is the way that we go through life. It's like you're in an elevator. You know? You're in an elevator and all eyes are forward and they're just thinking about self and you're thinking, please don't talk to me. I don't want to talk to anyone. No conversation here. And you've got to stop reading the Bible like this because Paul is talking about the church. He's talking about the body. He's talking about us as one. It's not just about you being humble and you being patient and you bearing each other. It's about each one of us as a body, as a unit, 
doing that. Yes, it starts with the individual, but it's about all of us together working as a team. There is nothing, there is nothing that damages the gospel more than when the church is divided and when the church is fighting and when the church is just, you know, gossiping and, and bitching and there's backbiting and they come in and they say, I don't need part of this. And the gospel of reconciliation is so undermined. Now I'm not saying that we're going to think identically about every single theological doctrine. But I am saying that there's a, a deep-seated unity that you've, you've got in the Spirit and the Son and the Father. And that's got to impact the way that you relate to each other. So that's how the church displays the gospel. By living, by walking as a united church. And the second way it displays the gospel is by living as a serving church. This is verse 7 almost, let me read it. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lowly earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he, Christ, who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastor teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What he's saying here is it, it's not just that you are seen to be one and united in a clone, but actually what makes a church so visible and so powerful is that we are all different and with different gifts and with different skills and they've all been given by God verse 7 to each one of us not to some of us but to every single one of us grace grace is just the word for gift grace has been given as Christ apportioned it if you're sitting here today and you put your trust in Christ you've been given a grace gift you've been given something which is to be used for the building up of the church he picks up Psalm 68 in verses 8 to 10. And in Psalm 68, it's a beautiful picture of a victorious God leading his people after the exile into Sinai. And the people follow, and it's almost like God on his throne receives the gifts. The victorious one, the splendid one. And the people, and they're so thankful and they want to praise God that they give God gifts. And Paul turns Psalm 68 around and he replaces the word receive with the word gave. So rather than people giving God gifts post Christ, what happens? God gives his people gifts. And he gave gifts to men. When did that happen? Well, verse 9, well, Jesus descended 
to the earthly regions, Jesus left the majesty of heaven in one gigantic step. He, he stepped into his world and then he stepped lower and lower and lower as he went to the cross. And he reached really, I suppose, the, the pit and the bottom with those words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He descended lower and lower and lower. And then what happened? He ascended, risen, exalted, ascended, glorified. And as he ascends to heaven, what does he do? He gives gifts to his church. He scatters his church with gifts. Not so that you can feel good. Not so that you can say, wow, I'm a great preacher and I'm a great musician and I'm a great cook and I'm a great on the PA and I'm a great with the computers. But so you can actually build up his church. And so you could use your gifts to serve him and to serve the body. And so when the, the world sees a church where they're serving together and they're loving each other, they say, that gospel is powerful. And so God did, did give gifted leaders, verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles. They were the people who saw the risen Christ. I don't think we have apostles today. They were the ones who saw the risen Christ and were commissioned by the risen Christ. Some to be prophets, the people who spoke the word of God. I do think we have prophets in a different way today, but I think he is talking about the prophets who spoke the word of God. And I get that from Ephesians 2 verse 20 where he talks about the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And he did give some to be evangelists and some to be pastor-teachers. There are people who are evangelists. They're kind of the obstetricians or the gynecologists, whatever you call them. The ones who actually give birth. It's obs, isn't it? Yeah. Obstetricians. They're the ones who are helping the birthing process. You know? There are some people who are extraordinarily gifted actually talking about Jesus and you know you put them in a room and they seem to have a conversation with everybody about Jesus and all these people sort of suddenly become Christians that's a huge gift and there's other gifts called pastor teachers it's actually one word I think pastor teachers pastor because they they care for the sheep and they feed the sheep and they protect the sheep and they do that through teaching through expanding the scriptures God has not left his church without evangelists or without pastor teachers. And I'm pleading with you to pray that God would raise up more evangelists and more pastor teachers for this church. The way that we're going to actually grow and serve together is as God raises up more men and women who are... We need those people who will actually handle the word well. Please pray for me, pray for Mark, pray for our connect leaders that, that we are pastor teachers who actually build and grow the church. Uh, the second thing is that it's not just being gifted leaders, actually we're all, co- all called to serve. Just find my page again. Uh, verse 12, the reason that we preach, the reason that we pastor, the reason that we teach is what? To prepare God's people for, for ministry, literally. For works of service. If you're sitting here in the pew tonight and you know Jesus Christ, you have got a gift. And part of my job is to encourage you to use that gift. And again, I am so thankful. I'm thankful for this church where I see people who turn up early and they prepare food and they 
prepare the coffee and they sweep the courtyard and they do the sound and they do the computers and they count the money and they change the light bulbs and yes they lead the music and yes they lead the prayers and a whole body working together and that's part of actually serving as a church why do you do that verse 12 so the, the body of Christ may be built up so that we as a church may grow and strengthen until verse 13 until we all reach unity in the faith and that's our goal that's our purpose is that we are growing and maturing in Christ not, not just growing in numbers let's stop being so number focused what does it mean to be mature to be mature in Christ means that you know, we, we've grasped how long and wide and high and deep is the love of God in Christ it means that you know Christ better and better and better that you actually grapple with deep th- theological truths until we all reach unity in the knowledge of the Son of God a lady came to talk to me about four years ago now she said I've got the gift of music and I should be singing a solo in church and she had a fantastic voice amazing, amazing voice and I said to her why do you want to do this? why do you think that God wants you to sing a solo in church and she said because I've got this great gift and I must use it I said to her no no the reason that you should be using this gift is so that you can build up and grow the church not about you it's not about your, how good your voice is it's actually whether this is going to be helpful for maturing and growing and building up the church and my friends as you come along on Saturday night can I ask you to, to search your hearts and say am I serving not for my benefit and not to puff myself up but because I want to see God's church grow because then verse 14 as mature people we won't become fickle uh, we won't be tossed around back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching the sign of an immature church is when there's one fad after another when there's no discernment when people just grab the latest book and say this is amazing you must read it there's so much guff out there there's so much pseudo Christian stuff out there that sounds good but it's just all froth it's light it's fluffy it tells you what you want to hear and you know it's, it is pretty dangerous in church today because you can podcast all these sermons and you can buy any book that you want online and you can feed your mind with stuff which is just not true and let me say that if you're struggling as a Christian if you're doing it hard in life there'll be times where you you want to hear certain things because you want to be comforted and the word of God is going to be hard to hear because it's not going to tell you what you want to hear and you need to be mature and not be blown away blown around by every latest teaching you can leave this church and you can go to another church up the road anywhere that will tell you what you want to hear that's not being mature in Christ and the last reason that we serve is verse 16 verse 15 sorry instead speaking the truth in love corporately together we speak the truth in love we will all things grow grow up into him who is the head that is Christ the way that we speak the way that we act 
has to have that double thing of truth and love, love and truth. Let me ask you, what do you get if you have a church where they're good on speaking the truth, uh, but they're lacking in love? What do you get there? Condemnation? Yep. You just, or you get, you get whacked over the head with theological truths, which is doctrinally correct, but actually, there's no love. And it's all said out of just condemning people. It, what happens if you, if you have love and no truth? If you just love people, you don't speak the truth, what happens? Yep, it's fake. Yep. It's more dangerous than that, actually. If you just tell people what they want to hear, because it's a loving thing to do, but you don't teach the truth, then actually you're leading them away from Christ. And what Paul is saying here is that if you want to be a church which displays the gospel, make sure that every single one of us here are, are using our gifts, not for yourself, but to build up the body. Make sure you're praying for your leaders, your pastor, teachers, your evangelists. Uh, make sure that uh, you are getting alongside people and speaking the truth in love. And uh, friends, if we do this as a church here at Southern Night by the Bridge, when somebody walks through that door and they look at the pews and they see different colours, hairs, different uh, shapes, sizes, intellect, and they say, this is one family, wow. And the gospel is adorned, because we're united. And then they see the way that we relate, and the way that we talk, and the way that we serve, and the way that we pray, and they say, there must be something in this. And that's why Paul says, look at your seesaw. On the one side you've got what? Adoption forgiveness, you're chosen, you're redeemed, you're reconciled, you've got God's grace, you've got mercy, it is weighty, weighty, weighty. And you look around at each other as a church and you say, I want to walk in a way that balances that seesaw. I want to walk in a way that's worthy of the calling that I've received. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, I want to thank you for all the, the weighty things that you've, you've called us to and given us. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your son. Thank you for our reconciliation. Thank you for uniting us as church. Uh, Lord, forgive us for yeah, your worldwide church that often displays and models division and uh, factions and fighting and and the gospel of our Lord Jesus looks anything but attractive. Forgive us for ways that we just come and sit and take and are not willing to use the gifts to serve. Uh, Father, thank you for the unity that we have in Christ. And thank you for the gifts you've given us. And I pray that you'd help us to, to use those gifts to grow up into the, the fullness of our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.